sci-fi jazz sections. Boopity beep bop boop, skip it a bop bop, skip it a bop bop, skip it a bop bop. I'm the sax man. Give it a bop bop bop. Is that Mr. Worldwide? I don't know. Yeah, that is Mr. Worldwide. Mr. 305. Do you know why he's Mr. 305? Is that a zip code? I don't know. Yep, that's the zip code of Miami. Ah. Those damn Japanese. Oh, no. (laughs) This gets canceled. This gets so canceled. We're really just trying to stay out of East Asia if we can. So uh, we're trying to cancel ourselves as many countries as possible. Really? We got to focus. We got to focus. France and Germany. We got to focus. So instead of like like broadcasting worldwide or like limiting how we broadcast, we'll just That's, defend people in those areas and then they'll the stop library. listening. That, it'll pick up oh. Just turn off the vibrator. It's I fine. hear we're up on uh, India and Indonesia. Turn next. off the vibrator? Oh. Her phone was on the counter. Oh, okay. Desk it would. Like, God damn, guys. <laughs> Which that'll we're recording here. show up on this microphone. Yeah. So. You're recording here, guys. Except it's got to sound like one that's like really old. Yes, please put away the Hitachi. The Hitachi. Uh, the magic wand. Magic wand, baby. The vibro blade. (laughs) The magic wand, the vibro blade. Aren't those in Star Wars? Yeah, Kotor. (laughs) Got it. It's just an interesting way of using this. Is it just us tonight? That's what it is. That is four of us. All right, let's get ripping and rolling. It's three more than we deserve to have, and two less than we need. I always want to say three more than we deserve. I'm the one we deserved. (laughs) I like as much as we're going to get. I like half of you half as much as you deserve. Right. Mm. I like less than half of you more than you ought to. I don't remember. If you're Bilbo Baggins, please write in to sci-fi cross-sections at gmail.com. back to sci-fi cross sections a weekly podcast dedicated to everything science fiction it's me your sci-fi boy colin brandon and with me tonight is i'm bill jarvis andrew is back (laughs) wow you've been gone for so long i forgot i forgot i'm tired and i hate my life okay you bring that energy that's what i'm talking about Mm -hmm. Uh, also joining us as a special guest hi i'm caroline that's right. Hi, I'm Caroline is joining us tonight. Um, we are talking about the 2001 film Metropolis. Um, in case you didn't know, uh, Caroline has been telling me that we need to cover Metropolis on this podcast probably about two years now. Um, and then we all got drunk at a wedding and she finally convinced the powers that be that this movie needs to be on the podcast. I just want you to understand that she was drunk, but I was 100% sober. <laughs> and all I did was yell across the wedding, hey, Colin, we're doing Metropolis. And you just gave me a thumbs up. But it was like 
great because on Sunday it was like, you want to do Metropolis? I was like, yeah. Whenever it happens, you were like, we're doing it on Tuesday. I was like, wait, what? When did this happen? <laughs> it's like, what you said to me convinced me. And I'm like, what did I say? What did I, what say? Did I say? <laughs> Definitely black that one out for sure. Uh-huh. Um. So yeah, in case you guys didn't know, Metropolis 2001 was uh, written by uh, Katsuhiro Otomo, uh, the same Katsuhiro Otomo who did uh, Akira. Uh, also, it was directed by Rintaro. Uh, I guess Rintaro is best known for, uh, Carolyn, what would you say it was? Um, Astro Boy. Astro much. Boy. Oh, that's, which, yeah. Which that's... I'm assuming Astro Boy is just Mega Man's little cousin. Oh no, yeah, Astro was, was the make... dog. Astro was the dog. That's yeah. right. I was gonna yeah. make a joke about how the uh the one character looked like Mega Man Astro Boy and it was named Rock. <laughs> Brock, got it. Love love the that. Rock. My favorite my favorite Pokemon trainers. Uh Brock. Hey. Okay. Uh the movie, the budget was one billion yen, which sounds like a lot, but it actually is only fifteen million dollars. <clears throat> wild well up for an animated feature in the year 1999 yeah what are you poking oh. box office oh we all getting there yeah okay. yeah uh, the box office was a whopping 750 million yen so they definitely did not make their money back on this one all right um sorry automato this uh, this movie is based off of uh, a manga, and apparently there's big differences between them. But yeah, like it's because I've gotten like the weird like because I, I brought this up before and everyone was like, "Is it a remake over the 1927 Metropolis?" And it's like, no. Basically, the person who wrote the manga Tezuka. Basically, he saw the image of Metropolis, so maybe that's the most influence that we have, but the 1927 Metropolis, the manga, and the movie are basically its own entity, if that makes sense, because it's like there's some elements of the manga in the movie, but not that much. We're basically Tima, the robot girl, in the movie, it's a gender-bending flying robot in the manga. So it's just like already a little bit different. Like there's some characters that are in it, like the uncle and Kenichi, they're both in it. And then Red Duke is also in it, but he plays like a different role. So it's like kind of sort of like based off of it, but not too, too much. Like I didn't really look that hard into it, but we're just reviewing the movie today. Yes, we are. And Bill, what is that movie about? Well, I'm glad you asked. A future society where humans and robots coexist amidst the chaos created by anti-robot factions detective Shunsaku Ban and his sidekick Kenichi are searching for rebel scientist Dr. Lafton to arrest him and seize his latest creation, a beautiful young girl named Tima. When they locate them, Shunsaku 
think Shinsaku, soon realizes that the eccentric scientist is protected by a powerful man and his fierce desire to reclaim a tragic figure from his past and therefore is beyond their reach. <gasps> it's Metropolis. It's Metropolis. <laughs> Actually, I, I Three, think... Three, two, one, let's jam. I really think, Andrew, you need to just put some jazz music. <laughs> I'll just put some really ill-fitting, like, carnival music in. Like, from yeah, the beginning. That'll, that'll I like how that, just... They had the scene where, like, the guy was, like, talking about oh, the ziggurat, and then, yeah. like, all of a sudden, this really, like, really weird, like, big band music started playing. Bom, bim, 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 bim. No, I just, that's carnival music in my head. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah, whatever. Uh, so, Alright, so, yeah, I've never seen this movie in my entire life. No, me neither. Yeah, still haven't. I knew it was in existence, but I never actually went and saw it. I made any effort to see it. By the time I finally wanted to see it, I couldn't find the goddamn movie anywhere. Yeah. Last night. <laughs> I really, really, really tried to pay somebody for this movie. I really did. <laughs> they just didn't want our money. That, maybe like, that's why it only made uh, 750 million yen. Yeah, I yep. told Colin, I was like, oh, I found a shady website to watch the movie on. He's like, we could just rent it. I was like, you don't understand. I already looked it up everywhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it's and it's just nowhere to be found except that one shady website that had both the sub and the dub. Oh, yeah. For those who are discerning. Um, I, uh, I honestly, like really wanted to pay somebody for this and i feel like the reason that we can't find it anywhere is because it was a flop one uh and uh and it was mostly in japan that it was successful which i how did you see this caroline how did you come across this so i was trying to think when i saw it and i think i was like 19 years old and adult swim you know in the summertime would do toonami where they played you know some anime and one of the Saturday movies was Metropolis. Like they had a full summer of movies, but I can only remember this movie so well in Paprika, which I don't know if that's a sci-fi film technically, but that's also a very good anime movie. But this one just stuck with me. Like it was so gorgeous. Like I remember my first saw like the voice acting can be a little bit much. And then if you like, some people just like one of the good examples I use is like Richard Roper. Like he hated the movie. He was like, why does Red Duke look like a rooster? Why is this looking like this? Why is the voice? And it's like, just focus on the movie. Whereas Roger Ebert was like, this is one of the best animated films I have ever seen. And he compared it to Blade Runner. Like he loved this movie so much, but it's like in the first couple minutes, if you get distracted by the animation, you're not going to be able to enjoy this film. So you, you said distracted by the animation. I will say right off the bat that this movie to me was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. That's like one of my favorite parts about the movie was how beautiful it was, to be honest. Well, Especially awesome. um, like a lot of times, maybe not so much with movies, but with anime, the background kind of just gets lost. You're kind of meant to pay attention to the foreground at all times. I never felt like that was a thing. I felt like the background was just as much of a character as what was going on in the forefront. So 
Um, yeah, no, yeah. and I, I agree with that because I, and it was also like during that period, like Ghost in the Shell, which is also in my people also searched for um, Ghost in the Shell and Ghost in the Shell 2, where it was kind of like combining CGI with um, animation. And it was like this, this fluxing period where it's just like they were using new techniques and everything. And I don't know if you guys noticed this, but everything was so slow in the way that they did everything. And it kind of like felt like every sort of frame was like an art piece, which is like a really cool thing. And, you know, like the major anime anime films um, is that like every frame is really like an art piece. And it's like really cool to watch something like that, to see something that's so handcrafted and, and beautiful. Like there was like one moment that Colin pointed out where the uncle had the book and one page flipped over and it was like a purposeful, like he flipped the page back where it, it had no purpose serving the film, but it's like, oh, they took time to animate that where it's just like the simple stuff, the little things that like, where it just lets the scene settle where I like that a lot too. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. It really makes the world feel, uh, even though it's very stylized and it's very you know it's very much not trying to be entirely realistic in the way that it's depicting the world it's really the style the style and the feeling that you're supposed to have is the priority which i love about it yeah well it's, this is a very specific art style from that director i mean like like caroline said astro boy um i think he was also attached to cyborg 009 which has basically the same exact like red like kind of like jacket like kind of thing that that uh that rock was wearing uh, it's it's a very specific style so if you don't like it you just aren't going to like this movie as much uh i also want to kind of just point out there were a ton of references to star wars in this little sound effects they were using uh there was a point where uh Oh god! It was like one of the gears. Like well, yeah, it was mm -hmm. clearly it was a, clearly a sound of a sound effect from Star Wars. But then uh, when uh, Shinsaku was at the bar, it was after they were captured. Mm -hmm. uh, he was at the bar. I swear to God, the design of the bar was set up to model. I think from uh, the cantina in the a cantina. New Hope. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was awesome. I like little nods like that here and there. Yeah. Did you notice they had the um, Men in Black Neuralizer sound? No. When was that? It was like when, yeah, it was like um, in the middle when like shit was like falling down and like lights were flashing on and off. I was like, that's the Neuralizer sound. <laughs> but Andrew, play the Neuralizer sound now. God damn it, Andrew. <laughs> oh Good God. job, man. <laughs> what movie were we covering? Um, Men in I, Black. The Stand. Oh, right. Um, I was. I thought this was Spy Kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think I'm going to the Jason's pants fitting. <laughs> God, that guy's got to figure out his pants. Um, yeah, no, I, I feel so. Getting more onto the, like the sci-fi side of things, I really felt like there's been a lot of. I feel like artificial intelligence has been such a huge part of sci-fi since you know terminator it's been a you know it's been around for a while the idea has been there for a while but really it's like you know terminator kind of kicked it off a little bit and then like and then you get the matrix which was huge on artificial uh, intelligence and villainizing it or uh yeah victimizing uh, I I, the human race for it 
I think every single major piece of sci-fi always had an artificial intelligence aspect about it, whether it was small or large. Yeah. Going from Star Trek, Star Wars had the the, the droids. Yeah, uh, yeah. We even have HAL in mm-hmm. 2001. So, I mean, I feel like it's it's kind of synonymous with the genre since, yeah. I don't know, since film started becoming a thing. That's really. a really good point. Yeah, no, thanks for that because I, I – yeah, I totally missed that. HAL 9000 is like the epitome of it for sure. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and like how it can go wrong or how the, how the human mind sort of like thinks of all the cataclysmic things that can happen because of it. Yeah, and honestly, a lot of the, cause we, I feel like we've done a, a shit ton of AI things in the last year on this cast. And I feel like a lot of them always just point back to 2001 now that we bring it up, mm-hmm. especially the ones we've done the last couple of weeks, they all kind of point back to it. So. Well, I think that also just states that, you know, like, uh, you know, Kubrick just sort of like covered all of his bases. I mean, the guy was insane. He he thought of every single tiny little detail. So it just goes to show that you can't Kubrick had such original ideas. It's hard to keep to not reference him. It's like saying Simpsons did it because they did everything already. (laughs) Um, (laughs) South Park reference. Anyway, um, so. Yeah, no, and, like, so we're talking about artificial intelligence and, like, sort of, like, making it the villain, which was, which I never saw the original Metropolis from 1927, um, but the idea of that that I picked up from it was that um, it was very um, Luddite in a lot of ways, sort of, like, saying, like, the advance of technology was dangerous. Yeah. Um, Yeah, like... The manga was very much like, be wary of technical, technical, technological advances. Eric. Yes, thank you for that. Um, yeah, that was how the manga was. Like, it was very much, you have to be wary of this, where it's like, more of this movie was like, be wary of authority or power, per se. It was just really, really interesting about that. Like, something that I really wanted to bring up because I wanted to see if anyone noticed or realized. Um, did we notice like references about the sun and power and authority? Mm-hmm. So it was believed the emperors pull their authority from the sun and the emperors of Japan were descendants of the sun god, so that's why you see in the Japanese flag, there's that sun. So it's not really a coincidence that Tina gets her power from the sun. And basically, you can see this as a religious act where authority is, is drawn from the heavens. So like that's why you see like Tina, Tima, when she's looking up, it's not by chance that she looks like this little angel and by chance a little dove is perched right perfectly on her shoulder and make her look like a little angel. I didn't realize she uh, was getting her power from the sun directly. Yeah, so like that's a big thing from the manga too, where it's like it's more blatant in the manga, where it's like where you know how when um, Red Duke attacked the sun and caused the robots to short circuit. Basically, those black spots in the manga is where the robot in that one got its power from. But yeah, like 
a lot of it, like just like little stuff like that. Like when Tima gets on her throne, she's on a red orb, which is mm-hmm. another symbol of the sun. I wish right. that's why I was just like, I can't. I was like, to call, I was like, I, the themes, the themes. Like, I can't wait to go into the themes of this. I have cards written down about my analysis of the movie. I'm not even kidding. You're this way is more Event Horizon Part Two. Yeah, please just just read oh, your and cards. Then something that's really really interesting that is brought up too that people don't realize about the manga is that the manga was created four years after Japan surrendered. Oh. Yeah. So it's just a lot of like heavily like uh, like the fear of technological advances Uh, and authority too. And the fear Mm -hmm. of the uh, atom bomb, which at the end she's trying to destroy the planet in a nuclear holocaust. Something they just experienced. So I... All of the, a lot of manga and a lot of the early anime always have this kind of focus in the background of them, the Japanese psyche still trying to process and deal with um, the nuclear bombs dropping on their country. I mean, Akira, that's like, that's the end of the movie. That's the focus of it. So, well, I mean, it's one thing for us to just like, oh yeah, the atomic bomb happened, but that's the only country in the world where it was used on. Yeah, no, and it was absolutely fucking insane that it happened the way it did. There's a lot of things historically that you could go into, and I'm sure Colin would want to, but that's you know. (laughs) But yeah, no, I mean it's huge. It's it's not it's not to be understated how like how absolutely insane it was that these bombs were used there. So having references throughout society, you know, throughout all of art would be you know that's reasonable. you know to say the least yeah exactly so i assume that everything japanese has to do with nuclear bombs um so so pokemon no. <laughs> so pokemon yeah, yeah. all which the animals are, are heavily irradiated they're irradiated they love being their pokeballs <laughs> they've all mutated it's like they're, they're under these the bomb are shelter these were all regular creatures that mutated into different creatures um <laughs> But no, I mean, I mean, the idea of, you know, going back to the advance of technology and then the advance of artificial intelligence itself and sentience itself um, is like a huge topic that keeps coming back in science and technology. You know, the fact that, you know, the idea of forming a human mind within a machine and, you know, Tima obviously had the idea of I am, you know, I think therefore I am that idea so you know the the big thing saying i am is a, i think there's douglas hofstadter wrote a book called i am a strange loop and it's the idea that i is a huge huge deal in the concept of i i am is a huge mm-hmm. deal in sort of sentience and, and thought process mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so it's it's, it's 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 really cool to see tima you know, emphasizing that so much and then having the confusion of I am a human, I'm a person, which is like, mm-hmm. how do you and define then, personhood out of the materials you're made of? So. And just having that existential crisis of I I am a human. I know what I am. Who am I? And then just that mental breakdown of her just losing her mind at the very end where it's just like Colin like Colin can attest like how I was just sitting on the couch just like forward like at the end because it's like I know where this is all going how all this is gonna end where it's just like this sweet little character where it's just like the most innocent person that you can imagine just like 
having the mental breakdown of saying, I'm going to destroy humanity because how you treated the robots kill all like literally she puts an order out of kill all humans right now yeah yeah and to go from like a sweet a sweet child basically and you know someone who thinks they're a person and then just being like just having the betrayal of realizing she's a robot Mm -hmm. well and then there's there's the whole thing with um robot rights like somewhat infringing on human rights like pero in the beginning says that he was never given a human name because to give a robot a human name would be a violation of human rights, you know? Mm-hmm. So there, there's clearly like some kind of like, this, I mean, these are topics we're going to have to get into now. Like, I mean, it's just now coming out like artificial intelligence and robot rights. I mean, maybe, you know, towards the end of our lifetimes, we'll be really looking at that, like really looking like, what does it mean to create, you know, a robot? Like, is this robot considered alive? Like, where does the line blur? And where s- does it, you know, start and end and blur? Because you like, it felt like a little bit bad when, like, the, um, when the shot, son got shot at and, you know, caused all, like, the robots to, you know, have a glitch and they just all got brutally shot at where it was just like, they were just, you know, like, you can't feel like they're human but at the same time it's like i feel bad like something i said like i totally forgot that happened in the movie was when the little like trash robot was helping kenichi and tima like navigate like down like in the one of the lower levels i was like i like garbage robot and then rock like rock starts shooting and like i totally forgot that the garbage robot fifi got in the middle to like protect them and i was like and i was just like i just broke my own heart i was like (laughs) i like garbage robot and then like oh no they killed her they killed her and even yeah. then i'm just like putting genders on robots names <laughs> i mean i mean i feel like maybe the uh director and animators felt that reverberate through time and they were like i have a i have a lady whose day i need to ruin you know? <laughs> oh like, man if you want to talk about ruined we'll talk about the ending of the movie because same thing happened to me that i discussed with you bill <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but something that's really really interesting is that with the metropolis city the way that the manga i know that we shouldn't compare like you know the book to the movie because they're two different entities You'll just make ben mad don't do it <laughs> somewhere out there ben is just like oh i sense something is happening <laughs> <laughs> but no like i guess the expansion in metropolis the manga is that it's more horizontal where we can literally see in the movie the class system of you know the vertical levels where you know the one percent we're at the top we're all the way at the very 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 bottom where there's no sun that's where all the robots can be found and i found an article that was really really interesting because there's a lot of deep analysis of what is the meaning of the movie because there's a lot of themes in this movie that you can reference about um state versus military so that's something that we witnessed like a coup d'etat happening um socialism versus imperialism where you know the theme of tima taking over imperialism and then another interesting theme is japan versus other as in the theme of nationalism Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The, the whole uh, nationalism thing is 100% um, a reference towards uh, the fascist takeover. Well, it's not technically fascism, but those far right-wing takeover of Japan in the 19, uh, well, 20s and 30s. 
basically mm-hmm. they did their own version of what happened in Italy and it happened in Germany. Um, and what, what are they called? The uh, Mardukes? The Mardukes is basically the Nazi party. 100%. And oh my God, they kept doing that reference of, oh, the revolution is beginning. The revolution has begun. And I'm just like, hmm, that's exactly what Hitler said. The national revolution has begun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a quote from Hitler's mouth. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's all those um, little references in there of fascism and right-wing stuff. So, Yeah, and then um, with classism in Japan, something that's really interesting, um, an article in referencing the architect symbolism of classism uses a quote from a politician named Shintara Ishihara, who describes the lower class of workers, Sangukuchin, I'm probably butchered that up, but saying, but they describe them as frequently occupying a specific economic niche of Japan. So lower class worker level. So basically are essential workers with rights, uh, without rights, and whose appearance might provoke resentment. So such as, you know, what some of the robots that we see that are taking people's jobs away. So Ishihara is a different type of nationalist. There's a Japanese nationalist where they say Japan first always. So something that he has said that you can get a good reference to of how he feels about Sangokujin, that's a derogatory term towards the leftover Taiwanese, Koreans, and Chinese that were left after World War II. So a direct quote that he had said was, with Sangokujin and foreigners repeating serious crimes, we should prepare ourselves for possible riots that may be instigated by them at an outbreak of an earthquake. So we could definitely see the classism towards, you know, robots and humans where the whole time it was just like, you know, the robots are, unfortunately, it's a really weird, What's the word? Yeah, it's it's just a really weird system of like, oh yeah, they're robots that taken away people's jobs, but at the same time, we're almost like empathizing with them the whole time of the movie. Where Pero is a robot, it's a cop robot that's just doing his job, but he brutally gets murdered by one of the people that started the riots. Mm-hmm. So it's just like an interesting take of like, why did like why did this article have to bring in? this famous politician from Japan where it's like, that's the another big theme of like, if you were to take away that robots and maybe, you know, lower economical working groups in Japan, that's another way that you can view this movie, which is really, really another deep level that you don't really think about. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. And that kind of brings up the point of like, so when you're talking about this, and I apologize, maybe I'm just missing something. So the politician that you're quoting here is that a real politician? Is that what yeah. you're talking about? Yeah, okay. it's a real so politician. He was really, so he was really okay. Wow. So, um, what time period was that? Like, was that modern? Um, him. Yeah, like that wasn't like 1940s. That was like no, modern day. No, this was like 2000s. Like Jeez. that was his quote from 2000. Jeez. And like, so he's referencing an entire racial ethnic group, basically. The idea of like the Korean, Taiwanese, uh, Chinese sort of post World War II quote unquote leftovers, right? Correct. That's insane. Yeah. Japan's always kind of had a weird relationship with, uh, let's say, group dynamics. Yeah. 
group dynamics. That's a nice way of doing it. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I'm uh, nothing if not. You could just say they're like xenophobic and. <laughs> well, it is. <laughs> have, it's have well, that, that's the. That's <laughs> the thing. I mean, they like, you know, they dislike anybody who isn't Japanese. In, uh, including other Japanese. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, if you, you know, if you're, you know, if you have certain interests, you're uh, sort of blackballed, you know? I mean, there are entire groups of people called uh, hikikomori who don't leave their houses because of, well, I mean, a lot of different, you know, possible things, but on the, you know, one the, the one hand, like Japan's, you know, work structure, Japan's work culture, work-based culture, they're work-life balance is non-existent you know you're not supposed to leave your job if your boss is you know while, while your boss is still there and if your boss is staying the night well then better uh, hope you packed a sleeping bag gotcha. japan's got a really interesting um structure to it really interesting society well i thought and i also i was actually it's really interesting in my job i talked to a lot of people on the phones and i was talking to this guy who actually is like uh who uh, is originally from America. He lives in Japan now. It was very interesting that there was this, you know, he said that there's this culture shock that you get. He said there's this just absolute culture shock. There are very specific rules for how you, you know, how you behave in society, how you behave with other people, depending on who you're talking to very specifically. And it's like, and you might not pick up on the differences and you would, you know, basically you're treated very very poorly if you accidentally break this etiquette and so it's like you have this insane structure and i would say insane because it really feels not right to me obviously um you know that sort of like uh sort of like life being dictated by these sorts of etiquette rules yeah no and i i feel like that's that's a huge part of sort of understanding the underlying tones of what is happening here but when, when you put things into perspective with how um do you say etiquette and class structure work in japan we got to look at it they were a feudal culture but it wasn't like where feudalism ended in europe hundreds of years ago hundreds and hundreds of years ago japan's feudalism ended in the 19th century so that's still like ingrained in their culture a lot of it went away when uh they kind of westernized in a lot of ways at the end of the 19th century going into the 20th century but some of that stuff never went away it's still deeply ingrained in there um mm -hmm. well especially i mean i i mean i especially think that it i mean i don't know i'm just talking out of my ass here but i mean when it comes to family i assume that those sort of family traditions sort of echo throughout you know generations so like you know that sort of carries over into society it's very interesting to me it's very interesting and i kind of like want to get into it i was getting the, talking with that guy made me want to go to japan like it really did like i just want to see it yeah bill is a budding weeaboo weeaboo uh yeah i already got his uh, i already got his kimono on uh on order mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. thank you we got that. we also got his anime body pillow too. Yeah, we got him a waifu pillow. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I do need a waifu pillow. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um So let's talk about the ending and see how we feel about it. Mm -hmm. It's cuz it's really interesting cuz Colin made a comment through the movie. He was like, "Huh, 
they don't know how to use the music for the mood where it's like it was like something sad where it's like a jazz yeah. where it's like all jazzy music they, they, they were like uh, uh when they're on like the tricycle and they're running from uh brock or rock and his his neo-fascists they're running through the city and it's just like swing jazz music and i'm just like what the fuck is going on this is not fitting this is supposed to be intense and then yeah later on when like the tower is crumbling and falling and it's it's they got uh ray charles playing i thought I, it... go ahead sorry. Uh, I was just going to say, I felt like that was very Cowboy Bebop in such that, like, the music is, yes, it's it's kind of a juxtaposition because you've got this, you know, Ray Charles song that's playing as this, you know, horrible event is happening. And so it's like you're, you know, you're supposed to feel the bittersweet undertones that the song is actually conveying through it. You know, you're not really catching the surface level there. Um, I mean, the song in the beginning I thought was completely ill-fitting. You know, let's not, you know, uh, let's not get that wrong. But I, I think they were trying to go for like a, a juxtaposition with their their musical choice there. Yeah, because yeah. it like it threw me off when I first ever saw the movie, and it was like Ray Charles, and it was like it was like literally I did like a head whip, like what <laughs> what is happening? Where it's like you don't really hear like actual songs being used in movies unless you know it's like like rom-com words just like in between the scenes not like a whole actual scene and it's just like the bit like as you described like the sadness and bitterness like you just see all this destru- destruction and just like crumbling towers and at the same time like Tima's try to kill Kenichi. And just, like, Kenichi's the whole time, like, he's the only person that stayed back to try to save her the whole time. And then, like, he, she sparks. Like, there was something I pointed out to Colin. I was like, did you notice it? Because when she loses her mind, like, a spark, like, twitches, like, inside of her chest where, like, it glows. But then, like, Kenichi did something to her and it went away and then she fell over. And I'm just, like, tearing up. I'm like, I know what's going to happen. Like, I just, like, heard, instantly heard the song. It's like Pavlov's dog where it's like, nope. Nope, it's gonna happen. I just know it because that's why I told Bill. I was like, "This movie made me sob the first time I saw it." Like I remembered that part. Yeah, but it's just like the whole sad, like just the way that it just. Ugh. Still, when I hear it, I'm like, "No, I don't want to think about this." Well, it's tragic, and it's like it's hard to have like tragedy there, and it's really interesting to, you know, have this sort of texture that like the music provides. You know, I, I think about it like 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 food. You have bitter with sweet. You have, you know, you have uh, savory with, you know, sweet and you have sweet with sweet. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so, you know, it's like you have this really interesting sort of like stylistic choice with the music that I feel like it kind of like is indicating how sort of like absurd life is sometimes. And it's like, you know, <clears throat> these sorts of senseless things happening, you know, these senseless things happening. And you have this sort of, you know, sort of boppy sort of jazz going on in the background to be like, well, life's still going on and life is absurd. So this is what fucking happens and people die and cities blow up, but we're going to keep going. So it's like yeah. really interesting to like get that feeling while this is happening yeah sometimes you just you know you're just hanging out with your uncle trying to 
you know, detective up some, some mad scientist the next day, you know, your robot girlfriend's trying to blow up the world. I've been there. I think we yeah. all have. And it's not the first mm-hmm. time like a sci-fi film has played a song at the end where it's like tragedy where Dr. Strangelove, have you ever seen the ending? Yes. Yes. Exactly. 100%. Uh-huh. See, I think it would have been way better if they did the, uh, I don't want to set the world on fire. I just want to. I love Billy Joel. Set a flame in your hearts. No. (laughs) uh, What is it? The Ink Spots, I think, were the original. Billy Joel. We didn't start the fire, Andrew. (laughs) Oh, my God. I love Phil Collins. Play the Tarzan soundtrack, Andrew. Two worlds, one family. (laughs) One family. But yeah, I was just like wondering everyone's take of like the last song, the Ray Charles songs, because it's just out of nowhere. But still, in my opinion, I feel like it really just works in an odd way. Where just like how beautifully directed this film was too, where it's just like it pulled at the heartstrings at the right moment. And then like certain like scenes were like when Kenichi first sees Tima, where Tima comes out like glo- like the angelic glowing, you saw that zoom like fade back, like where it's like I don't know how you do it, but it's like a character standing and like the background zooms in just mm-hmm. slightly. It's but it's, it's, just, it's like, actually oh, it's a rolling dolly. Yeah, I can I can tell you it's the Alfred Hitchcock zoom. It's like mm-hmm. you roll in and as you go in, you zoom out. So you're zoomed yeah. in, move zoom out so that your focal length changes and it brings the background forward. It's really yeah, cool. It's the uh, or, it's the Jaws shot. You could also do the the opposite where you roll yes. out and zoom in. That's what they did in like Lord yeah. of the Rings when Frodo's on the road. So, right, yeah, but it's yeah, a, it's a really cool effect. Yeah, so it's just like it's like it sucks so much because you hear like people saying like, "Oh, I don't like anime at all. I don't like anime films." Where it's like a lot of people loved this film. Where this was considered like Roger Ebert compared this movie to. Like I mentioned earlier, Blade Runner, and he was like, I love Blade Runner because I loved looking at everything around, and it's just a well-directed film, and you're going to enjoy this, Andrew, but you know what Roger Ebert's favorite film was in 1998? His number Um, one film? Event Horizon. (laughs) Wild Wild West. It was Dark City. Oh, I love yeah, that. Yeah, because he just loves the look and feel of it, where it's like, that's why, like, that's what he referenced when he was watching this, where it's just like, he mm. loved it so much. And then, interesting enough, I was like, out of curiosity, I was like, what year did this movie come out? It was like 2002. So his number one movie that year was Minority Report. Mm. And then oh, wow. Spirited Away was number eight. So it's like, it, it was a good animated film, but not the best one, apparently. It's interesting that they came out about the same time. That's so weird to me. I don't know. Interesting. And then just like, it was just one of those things where I remember like one day, like thinking, I was like, why isn't this like remembered as well as let's say Akita or Ghost in the Shell where it's like, I, in my opinion, I thought the Ghost in the Shell movie is fine. The TV show is a little bit better in my opinion, where this movie was far superior in my opinion, we're stuck with me with all these years. We're just like the question of what happened. Why isn't this more well liked? And it's also if it's seen one of the best anime films of all time. Why has literally no one besides me ever seen this film before? Well, you can't beat Scarlett Johansson. I can tell you that. <laughs> um, 
Oh, I love Asian women actresses. <laughs> so brave. So brave. <laughs> So, oh gosh, oh, we had two Asian leads this year in Marvel films, Black Widow and Shang-Chi. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, anyway, uh, so now that the uh, now that the East Asian off audience is gone at this point. <laughs> um, Sayonara. Ho ho! Bitches. Hey, I'm making fun of Scarlett Johansson, not the East That's Asian true. side. They're probably That's laughing true. with me. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, I uh Yeah, no, I and, and like the the I feel like one of the main ideas in this, I mean, not only like the progression of technology in general and the idea of personhood, I feel like that was kind of like a gigantic thing in here. Cause you know, like the personhood of a machine is just like I don't know, I feel like I'm looping back on myself. I just keep coming to that point. It's just like <laughs> It, it's the idea of, and I'd say this every single episode almost, is functionalism, is the idea of, is something defined by its parts or is its function? And so it's like, you know, to say Tima says, you know, she's a human, you know, maybe she functions as a human until she realizes she's a robot and then something changes. And it's like, mm -hmm. your her function changes. And it's like, it's so interesting to be like, you know, a, ro a robot is human until until it realizes it is a robot. Does that really define them? Well, it's, I don't know. It's a question. It, well, it's, you said a robot is human until it realizes it's a robot. You know, I've, I was going to say exactly what you not just as a, said. Not so. as a general rule, but yeah. 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 <laughs> But even Tima was told, you know, heard right away where she was being take, first taken away that she's a robot and she like, like that realization and just questioning her existence the whole time because Kenichi never treated her like a robot. He knew she was a robot, but he didn't really treat her any different. He just treated her out of kindness. So basically, she, almost like imprinted on him of like, oh, Kenichi is my father? What is like the question of do you, when Rock was like, showing her like how she's not a like showing her how she's not human of like well do you remember who your father is and she's like kenichi because she's so innocent that's all she's ever known and then like it really only took her for to have the mental breakdown of her existence when she got fired at and just saw like her wound where she realized i really am a robot yeah and it just destroy all humans hmm. yeah fuck them humans <laughs> It is the function of robots to replace their creators. Good me at the end. Good for her. Good for her. So I would ask you guys a question. Would you want to see this live action at this point? No. Or do you think they would just absolutely tear it? Tear no, it that, there's no reason to. This whole yeah. thing yeah. exists as a manga well, anime because needs to. We don't have to worry about it being made into live action because it did not do well. So yes. and, yeah, there you go. And then just the most like and I can't even say, like, the best part was, like, the animation. Like, it's one of the really great aspects. But, like, the background, the scenery, like, how gorgeous everything really was. And just even, like, the stylization of, like, the characters. I, re I really love seeing that. So it was just... 
it really won't do a purpose to create a live action film unless they do something different to make it its own thing and make it interesting and not cast Scar- Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> oh, fuck that. I want Scarlett Johansson. I feel like she could play Tima, though. I feel yeah, like she, she could play Tima. Play a good Tima. <laughs> but she's like, what, 40 playing a 12-year-old girl? Who casts a tw- <laughs> She can play different races. She can play different ages. I mean, yeah, really she can- different genders. Yeah. Isn't it ridiculous to cast a person in their 30s to be a 12-year-old Bill? That's weird. Who would ever do that? Was that Chris? Who would make fun of me all the time, Bill? Dear. Oh, wait. Oh, my God. Right. Because you are. Because you were a little red. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Now I get the joke. Thank you for explaining the oh, joke. Oh, I right. needed that ba- needed that mama bird fed to me. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, there was a character named Ham Egg. All right. Never mind. Uh, okay. So. Uh, I feel like this is a good point to go around and maybe do a good sci-fi, bad sci-fi, unless anyone else had anything they wanted to bring up. No, I think we did it. Okay. I just got something fun for Andrew to see, because he he listened to the sub. Did you listen to the dub, Bill? I listened to the dub. So, Andrew missed out on this, but there was a moment when the mayor and president were talking, I was like, is that Spike? Yes. Oh, there yeah. Go. So, yes. so the mayor was Spike, and then mm-hmm. like um, Atlas was talking. I was like, Colin, do you recognize who this person is? He's like, No. I was like, It's Aladdin. <laughs> Aladdin. Yes. Vanger. Yeah. So like, Colin said something in the movie later on, referencing Aladdin. Nice. Do you trust me? Nice. Yeah. Do yeah. you trust me? Um. Which essentially what he was, yeah. Uh, okay, well, I think it's time to go around the table and do the good sci-fi, bad sci-fi, yeah. Starting with yeah. uh, William Richard Jarvis. I think it's good sci-fi. I think it brings up a lot of interesting questions and quandaries about sort of like existence in general, events of technology, the sort of moral um, issues with sentience and things other than humans and existence and identity so there's all there's a it's i mean it's packed it's packed with sort of these questions that i enjoy um and i thought it was a beautiful film i thought it was very well done i feel like it is art um so like you know i feel like it's one of those things where it's very much like an art piece that that had a hard time in the box office but definitely worth seeing yeah good sci-fi Hell yeah. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Thank you, Bill. Andrew. I thought it was good sci-fi as well. Um, kind of that classic, like, you know, do robots, you know, got, you know, the, the whole do androids dream of electric sheep. Like where do, where does like, where does robotics stop being robotics and more when, you know, what, what's the line and where does it blur? Hold on, Bill's freaking out on camera. Hold on. on. Caroline looked confused when you said, Do androids dream of electric sheep? I was just like, I don't think she knows. My head back. Like, it was just like that moment of just of all the comparisons to use electric sheep. (laughs) Yeah, that's, you know, Flaffy, Mareep, Amphros. That was Blade Runner, right? That's Blade yeah, Runner. Blade, Blade yeah, Runner. yeah, that's Blade Runner. Blade yeah. Runner. That's the original book for Blade Runner. Sorry. Oh, never mm-hmm. seen Blade Runner. Just blew my mind that you didn't know what that book was. Sorry. Okay. Oh. Yeah. No. Um. But yeah, just like kind of the lot, like where it is, where it is the line between robot and human blur, you know. So excellent, 
sci-fi really good glad i watched it um i had never seen this one i remembered uh seeing it on my brother-in-law's like dvd shelf when i was younger so it did exist in my brain but never got around to it i just imagined your brother-in-law's uh, shelf is literally just like a shelf from suncoast <laughs> i feel like this is a very suncoast style of movie yeah. i feel like a lot of people like Walked into Suncoast and was like, oh, I'm going to get the new Alice in Chains CD. Oh, what the hell's anime? He also has the head wow, that's, that's covered in plastic that you can't like look at from a distance. Right. I'm going to get the new, uh, what did you say? What CD? Me? No, what CD? Alice in Chains. Oh, the new yeah, Alice in Chains CD. I'm going to get the new CD. Alice in Chains. Wow, what's anime? Wow, those are big titties. <laughs> yeah, See, there you go. That's, that's, you go. that's, that's, that's right. how you... Get the feet that's how you hook that's them in. That's literally how you draw. That's that's how uh, anime advertises now. How yeah. many waifus are in there per season? Just enough. All right, Caroline, uh, why don't you go ahead and say good sci-fi, bad sci-fi, and all that jazz? I will say this is good sci-fi because as I when I first suggested the movie, I was like, it literally covers every aspect of sci-fi that you could want. Where you know. As everyone has probably mentioned, has already mentioned it, you know, what is it to be human? Where do like androids draw, you know, where like when does like something become human, that idea and technological advances? But this one just goes into other elements that are much deeper. Where if you look at the surface level, you think like, oh, it's just a girl robot, but it's like, no, it it goes really, really heavy into other elements too that you didn't really think about. So that's why I've been pressuring and pushing for this movie for a couple of years now. Cause it's like, no, this is just a good movie to watch too. All right. Thank you, Caroline. Um, I think it's great sci-fi. Um, they, they cover a lot of different things, a lot of different themes. Uh, they're just telling it through the, the lens of science fiction, which I always appreciate. Uh, I, I think for some people, it's just a little bit easier to digest that way. Sometimes when you watch like a, a period piece or uh, just something that's a lot more real, uh, it might be a little bit harder for people to stomach and to watch. But I, I, f I feel like you could still tell those tales, uh, those cautionary tales, as it were, uh, through this kind of lens. And I, I think it's perfect for that. So, yeah, I thought it was good stuff. I appreciate it. Uh, I kind of wish it got... Um, more critical acclaim i know you said roger ebert did it and liked it but um yeah i, I had never really heard of it until a few years ago um i was surprised because i thought it was pretty good I, i've watched anime movies that weren't this good so mm -hmm. that have been blown way out of proportion <clears throat> so yeah um yeah that's my take on it um well folks there you have it that is uh, our rundown on the film Metropolis 2001. Uh, thanks to Caroline, she finally got her way. Uh, next week, it says on the schedule that we are covering something called Upgrade. I don't know what that is. <laughs> but I'm going to find <clears throat> out, and so are you guys. Uh, so yeah, join us next week. And Caroline, thank you for jumping on the cast tonight. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you for jumping on. I appreciate you. Mm -hmm. And also, thank you for the idea to do this movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, I was so drunk at that yeah. moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was at the dinner table, and uh, you were just like, we're doing Metropolis. I'm like, okay, yeah, I cool. literally, 
like my memory of that night is very hazy. Like I distinctly remember talking to one of our friends, eating cake, and a song came on that I liked, and I was like, "Excuse me, I have to go dancing now." And I just ran to the dance floor, put my cake down, and ran. Well, at least you put the cake down first. So that's really <laughs> yeah, that's important. Nice. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, all right, folks. Well. I guess we'll just say until next time. <laughs>